long, long ago, far, far away, in a galaxy far, far away. Now, it wasn't that far away. It was just California. But um, it was long ago when, when Donna and I were dating. So this is before many of you were alive. Um, I was working as a gardener at the time. And I had a gardening truck that I used. It was a, uh, a 1965 one-ton Ford pickup. This truck gave, uh, was the birth of the term heavy metal. Okay, so it's, it's solid steel, it's huge, big, giant tires. It was a huge, massive, heavyweight truck. And that was my only vehicle at the time. So we would drive around in that. And we were coming home from a church service on Sunday night uh, one time. And uh, driving down a street near our home, and there's a, a four-way stop, and a young guy in a Ford Pinto, which <laughs> you probably don't remember Pintos, most of you, but it was a little car. He ran the stop site going about 50 miles an hour and T-boned us, hit the truck. Uh, so he, he was going so fast, the truck spun around backwards up on its front wheels, and somehow, and I don't know what happened, uh, we were both thrown out of the vehicle, it was crazy. It was chaos for like two seconds. And then that was the weirdest thing because it was just like totally silent. It was quiet. And the first thing I remember is standing in the middle of the street. And I swear I landed on my feet, but I don't know if I actually landed on my feet or got up, but I was standing in the middle of the street. Donna was sitting in the street, but she was in shock. And she said, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs. And then this is what happened. This guy shows up. And he's an African-American guy, very nicely dressed. He had like a, a sport coat on with the patches on the sleeves and these little wire rim glasses and a short beard. I mean, just very sharp looking guy. He comes out and he kneels down by her and he goes, can you feel that? You feel that? And he kind of touches her toes and he goes, you're going to be okay. And he puts a blanket over her and then he's gone. And right then it was like the silence ended and all of a sudden there was police cars and people running, and it was just chaos and crazy. So I, I still to this day, I don't know. I'm just saying, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Uh, that was an angel. I don't, we don't know. But it was a weird experience, but a comfortingly weird experience, Okay. So we're continuing in uh, our study, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, in the Gospel of Luke. Last week we looked at the process of going into the temple and lighting the incense. You remember we talked about being a fragrant aroma to the Lord and how as New Testament, sort of new covenant followers of Jesus, we are the temple and our lives are to be that fragrant aroma. We, we offer our lives up as a sacrifice to God um, and we want our lives to be pleasing to him. And so we're going to continue today. And again, we're going to look at just a few verses. And I promise we won't go two or three verses at a time all the way through the whole book. I'm actually kind of stalling a little bit so that we get to the birth narrative right around Christmas, if you know what I mean. Um, but, but with that in mind, I want to look at what happened to Zechariah when he went into the temple. Uh, so this morning and our title today, go back, go back. Angels are among us is our title today. Let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll look at it, okay? Uh, Father, thanks for your word and for uh, just your commitment to our lives. We're so grateful to know that you're with us and that you have our back, that you're always watching out for us. Uh, we just ask you to open our hearts to receive your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, go ahead to the text. Uh, our text this morning is verses 11 through 13, and then uh, skipping down to verses 18 and 19, it says this, And then... 
An angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And skipping down to verse 18, it says, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And I would just uh, side comment there. Uh, we call the gospel the good news, and the, the gospel of Luke is really uh, good news start to finish. And so the angel kind of not only announces good news of this specific thing to Zechariah, but he opens the door for this book of good news into our lives. Zechariah was startled, which makes sense, uh, because he wasn't expecting anybody to be in the temple. It's a quiet place. You go and you just go into the presence of God. And I'm sure it was a very peaceful place to be. And all of a sudden, somebody's there talking to him. So he was startled, but it says he was gripped by fear. And if you look at Scripture, read through all the, all the different occurrences of angels, there are different responses by people. Sometimes people are very, very afraid when they see angels, but other times they're actually comforted. And it really sort of is contextual, depending on what's happening at, at the moment, how people respond. The disappointing thing for me is that in, in most of those instances, and including this one, they never tell us what the angel looked like. And so I, I always feel like that would be helpful information. What did the angel look like? We don't know. But I'm guessing, as Zachariah was afraid here, that this wasn't one of those fat baby angels that we saw a minute ago. You know, a lot of times you see angels, they're like the cutest little chubby babies, and you just want to squeeze their thighs and kiss their cheeks, you know. Uh, but I don't think it was one of those. I don't think it was Roma Downey. And if you're old, you remember that. Um, but uh, this angel was sent to Zechariah, apparently in response to a prayer. Here's something. I, you know, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Scripture speaks to us. And I saw something this week in this text that I'd never have noticed before. The angel tell, Gabriel tells Zechariah, your prayers have been heard, and I've come to give you this good news. You're going to have a kid. That's, that's the good news. Now, now Zechariah and Elizabeth had long given up on having children. And so sometime way back when, I'm guessing decades ago, they prayed a prayer and asked God to give them a child. And it didn't happen. And so somewhere along the way, they stopped praying and they gave up. Luke has told us that Elizabeth is barren and that Zach and Elizabeth are way too old to have a baby. And here, Zechariah repeats that himself. I'm too old. My wife's too old. We can't have kids anymore. They had long since given up on God, but God never gave up on them. And I just felt like uh, a word to us today is this, that the timing of the Lord is not the same as our timing. And if you've given up on God and something in your life, just know that God hasn't given up on you. Um, his, his, his timing is, is different. It's not ours. So just hang on to that. Uh, a- angels play a, a fairly prominent role in the birth narrative. Uh, you, you guys are aware, of course, the same angel, Gabriel, uh, approaches Mary and kind of gives her some insight and wisdom as to what's going to happen in her life. And then throughout the narrative, if you notice, several times, I think three different occasions, angels appear to Joseph. And so throughout kind of the birth story of Jesus, angels are 
uh, very prominent. And then we don't hear about angels again so much throughout most of the rest of the book of Luke. But in the book of Acts, which is really Luke part two, all of a sudden angels make a reappearance. And there are angels that show up at strategic points in the life of different disciples throughout the book of Acts. Um, we've said before here, in the kingdom of God, there is what is seen. There's, there's the visible, physical realm that we live in and walk around in every day, and there's what is unseen. There's a spiritual realm that is equally real. And that's what I have, you know, I think that's the thing we want to keep in mind is that the spiritual realm is just as real as the physical realm, even though we don't see it all the time. So today I want to just have a little fun and uh, talk about angels and what scripture teaches us about them. Angels um, have sort of uh, faded from the limelight a little bit. What I mean by that is this, and if you, were, if you are a, a little bit older, you, you'll remember during the 80s and 90s, angels were huge. They were everywhere. There was a TV show on called Touched by an Angel that really uh, was very popular, but there was lots of books written about angels, and Christian bookstores, if you go in a Christian bookstore, there was just angel figures everywhere, you know, it's very, they were, angels were hot in the 80s and 90s, and they're not so much anymore, but there, but there are still books written, go ahead and put the next, that's the one I want right there. These are, these are books all written in the last couple years, this is awesome, I love this. 365 Days of Angel Prayers by Sonny Don Johnson, communicate with the angels, activate blessings in your life, and with this anthology of 365 prayers, poems, invocations, and divinely guided messages. Then we have Angels 101, An Introduction to Connecting, Working, and Healing with the Angels by Doreen Virtue. It's a very virtuous book. And then my favorite is The Book of Light, Angelic Peace and Healing by Anita Kalusi-Zanon. This is the description. The angels provide us with words of spiritual healing. They tell the story of heaven and divine. They reveal how they have returned. Bye now. Anita Kalusi-Zanon is an angelic intuitive who provides spiritual coaching to people by giving them messages from the angels. The angels asked her to write this book. Yes, to bring more light and healing to the world. So there's a lot of stuff out there about angels, much of which is not biblically based. It's it's uh, comes from someplace else. Uh, so what does the Bible teach us about angels? There's Apparently there's a... a, a where there is an angelic hierarchy. There's a structure, a governmental sort of structure uh, in the angelic realm as there is in the human realm. There are are what are called archangels. Gabriel, who appears to Zechariah here and later to Mary, is often considered an archangel, although actually in Scripture he's never identified as an archangel. Gabriel is identified as an archangel in extra-biblical sources, but never in the Bible. In the Bible, the only archangel identified by name is Michael. But, that said, there is some sort of structure in the angelic realm. And there's a few other things that we can learn. So the first one is this. Uh, angels are real. They really are. Angels are real. Uh, they're spiritual beings. They, they are present in the world now, today, all the time. That's true. They're, they're not the spirits of dead people, which is uh, sometimes that's one theory, sort of, and I think at least one of those books we looked at alluded to that. Um, they're created beings. They're created beings like like we are, and and we don't we don't typically see them. The only time we see them is when God chooses to reveal them to us, and then we can see them. 
so, so they're, you know, we'll look at it in a minute. God is in control of that, but they're, they're around all the time is, is our assumption. We, we don't know uh, exactly when angels were created. The book of Job seems to indicate that it was before the creation of the world. Uh, I've read different things, you know, kind of the timeline on that, but it, it's, it's unclear, but they are created beings. In scripture, angels are identified uh, by, they, they're in scripture a lot, identified by different names. Over 300 times the term angel appears in the Bible. 150 times they're called the heavenly host, which is a reference to multiple angels at one location at one time. And then over 400 times they are called gods with a small g. So sometimes if you're reading Psalms, especially in the Old Testament, and we'll look at a couple of scriptures in Psalms today, you'll see that gods with a small g. If there's a specific reference to gods of other religions, then that's what they are. But if not, that's very likely a reference to angel. And again, they're unseen uh, by us until God reveals them to us. When they are revealed, uh, they sometimes at least, I don't know if it's always, but when they are revealed, they take the form of a person. Go ahead and go to Hebrews. Uh, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So that's, that's, that's a challenging verse. I, I mean, really to think about the fact that any given person, you know, the guy in the street corner with the sign could be an angel. That's just the reality of it. And, uh, you know, people that look to us for, for help in need, and maybe not look to us for help in need, I don't know, but certainly those that look to us for help in need might be an angel, and we don't know that. So um, be on your game. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Thomas. Uh, second point is there's lots of them. There's lots of them out there. Go to the next one now. Uh, here's a few verses. I looked and heard, and many, the voice of, this is John uh, on Patmos at the, at the beginning of Revelation. I looked, I like this, I looked and heard. I don't know how that works, but he looked and he heard. A uh, voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Um, we talked a couple weeks ago about hyperbole in Scripture. So I don't know that this is an exact number. I don't Somebody do 10,000 times 10,000. What is that? 100 million? That's a lot. I don't think he's being, I don't think he's quoting an exact number there. He's just saying there was a lot of angels. I could hear them. They were, it was just, it was glorious. Uh, Hebrews, again, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's talking about angels. Elisha prayed, this is in 2 Kings. They are surrounded by an army that they're coming against that's a vast, vast army, and the servant of the Lord is afraid. Uh, Elisha prays and says, open his eyes, Lord, so he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. And it says after that, those that are with us are more than those that are against us. So his eyes were open, and he could see uh, angels surrounding them. Jesus tells Pilate, you know I could talk to my father right now and he would send uh, 12 legions of angels here. That's not how I work. It's not what I do. But I just wanted to mention I could do that if I wanted to. So again, a legion is a Roman army of 6,000 soldiers. So if you do the math there, uh, 12 legions would be 72,000. So there's a lot of angels out there. Angels are, are everywhere. They're all around us. I don't know how it works. Um, I, I, other than that story I told you earlier, I don't, I've never seen, to my knowledge, an angel. I was weird. Again, I, back in the 80s at conferences, it seems like angels were a big deal. And, and people, every event I went to, every conference, somebody would see angels. You know, I was at 
this one conference in Anaheim one time, I always, uh, this, uh, my cynical nature rises up, you know, but I would always wonder, okay, is this legit or is this just a wacko? You know what I mean? But this guy tells me, hey, man, there's two big angels just sitting in here right up there. I'm looking. He goes, you see them? I go, no, I don't see them. He goes, oh, they're huge. I don't see them. Um, I don't know how the time-space continuum works. I don't, know, I don't know how many, do they take up space? Do they not take up space? How many are in the room? I, I, don't, I don't understand all that. That's beyond me. How many are there? Uh, are they here right now? I don't know. This is what I know. And this is, I think, the point we can take home is that we're not alone. We're not alone. God is with us and God has our back. And he really does uh, send angels to help us. All right, next slide is, they are under God's direction and God's command, not ours. So contrary to what, some of those books that we looked at a minute ago might indicate uh, we do not direct the angels. God directs the angels. Go to the next slide. Um, praise the Lord, you his angels. This is Psalm 103. You mighty ones who do his bidding. So praise the Lord, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, his servants who do his will. Angels are under the, the command of God. They're not under our command. There is uh, not a single illustration or example in Scripture anywhere of a person initiating contact with an angel. No one ever says, you know, come angel, and the angel shows up. Uh, there are a number of different Scriptures where God sends an angel to someone, and then they actually are able to communicate. But it's always at God's initiative, never at the initiative of the person. So we don't pray to angels. We don't command them. We don't tell them what to do. God does. That said, though, uh, they, they are here f- for our benefit. They're here on our behalf. Uh, their purpose, at least partially, maybe not fully, but at least partially, uh, their, their, their purpose really is to watch out for us and to take care of us. They're, they're really here on our behalf. Uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all his ways. So God sends angels out of concern for us to guard us. They will lift up your hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So, so even in the simple things of life, there are times when we could get into trouble, but angels are there to guard and protect us and keep us from that trouble. And then Hebrews again, are not all angels ministering servant spirits sent to those to serve those who will inherit salvation. So they're here on our benefit. They watch over us. And uh, I, I would add this, I think, um, you know, the whole concept of guardian angel, does everybody have their own guardian angel? I don't know. Scripture doesn't necessarily say that. It says there are angels to watch over us. I don't know how it works, the structure of that or the division of labor or however, but this is one thing I think is clear that I'm very appreciative of, and that is, and you can go to the next slide, Thomas, uh, especially kids. God loves kids. Do you know that children have a special place in the heart of God? They really do. And so um, Jesus had some strong words. He says, see that you not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that there are angels in heaven. Always see the face of my Father in heaven. Isn't that good? Later he said another thing. He goes, it would be worse for you to have a millstone, or better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck be thrown in the ocean than you harm one of these little ones. Uh, Jesus loves kids. It's a good deal. Um, It also appears, in addition to angels specifically watching over people, 
that angels are sent to uh, congregations, to churches. And if you remember in, in Revelation, John writes uh, those, the letters to the churches, but they're addressed to the angel of the church of. So he's, he's actually writing uh, in the spirit, sort of, to the angels of those churches. And that seems weird to us, but we should know if you read church history, you go back in the early church, that belief was pretty much universally held. It was, it was just everyone was of the assumption and belief that there were angels over congregations, that they were assigned to those congregations. And so who knows? I don't know. Maybe we have our own angel. Maybe it's here now. I, I don't know how that works, but there are angels over congregations. There are all, there's also indication in Scripture that there are angels that have authority uh, of some level over cities and countries and geographic regions. There's sign over geographic regions. In Daniel 10, uh, it mentions the prince of Persia and then goes on to talk about uh, Michael the archangel as being one of the princes over these cities. And so there's a indication that angels are assigned to locations. This is one thing that, that I found interesting. Uh, so there, there's a lot of parallel between humans and angels. Human beings are created, angels are created. Another parallel is that we have free will. We make decisions based on, you know, what we feel like at the moment. Are we going to obey God and follow God or not? Uh, Angels, it appears, also have free will. And they can uh, do God's work or not do God's work. We'll talk about good and evil in a minute. But beyond just good and evil, uh, it's, it's apparent that some angels don't do their jobs as well as others. And go to the next slide. This is Psalm 82. It's an interesting passage. God presides in the great assembly. So God's in heaven and the angels are there. He renders his judgment among the gods, small g gods. And so that's a reference to angels. How, and he, this is what God says to them. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? So some angels are showing partiality and defense to unjust and wicked people. And then God says, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. That's your job. Rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And he says, the gods, the angels, know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, you are angels, you are sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. And so that's an interesting passage. I don't know if that means angels have a lifespan. I don't know um, a whole lot, but what it, it makes, two, two things it makes clear. One is that angels have free will and can make a decision what they do and not do. But maybe even the broader issue for us is that this passage, along with virtually every passage uh, on angels, indicates that what happens in the spiritual realm, what happens up there, has a direct impact on what happens down here. So they're, they're very connected, very, very connected. What does that mean for us? It means this, that when we consider issues of social justice, of poverty, of caring for those in need, of those sorts of things in culture today. Uh, How those things are carried out, and I would say again, in a given congregation, in a given city, in a given nation, how those things happen is influenced by how godly or ungodly the spiritual influences in that nation are, in that place are. So we have the spiritual influences of our, our physical leaders, our people that make decisions on this realm, but there are also 
uh, spiritual influences that play into that. And that's a, that, that, this is, I'm actually going somewhere with this today. Um, that's important for us to keep in mind. So last point, Thomas, go to the next slide. Uh, angels are good and evil. Some are good, some are bad. How did that happen? There was a rebellion in the angelic realm. Um, it actually happened over worship. And this is another point. The whole thing started because there was an angel who was jealous of the worship of God and God getting all the glory. And he wanted the glory. And so he rebelled and turned against God and took a bunch of other angels with him. I just think that's important for us to remember when we worship that it's about him. It's not about us. He rebelled, and that rebellion happened at one point in time, and angels uh, fell away from God, but that, it didn't end there. It continues today. There are, as there are different names and structure for angels, there are names and structure for fallen angels. We have the name Satan is one that you hear, and Satan, direct translation means the adversary, the one against God. We, uh, scripture talks about the devil and his angels. Paul identifies uh, a real substructure. He talks about principalities, powers, rulers and authorities in dark places. And so there is a demonic presence, a fallen angel, a dark angel presence in the world around us. And again, we don't know exactly when this rebellion happened, uh, very likely before human beings were created. So somewhere, you know, I've read different things, you know, kind of between day one and day two. I, I don't know how it worked. But the point is this, that when humans were created, it didn't take very long for those angels to conscript people and pull them into their rebellion, okay? And that, my friends, is why spiritual warfare is a reality today. Uh, it, in the very beginning, Satan, fallen angel, tempted Eve and conscripted people into this rebellion against God and to begin to make decisions that are counter to those that God would have. And those principalities and powers align themselves against the purpose of God, and that continues today. Jesus came, it says, to bind the strong man, to tie him up, and to set people free. And what does he set us free for? He sets us free to actually be on God's side to engage in the warfare that's raging around us all the time. And that's the whole idea we've used before, the illustration of D-Day and V-Day in World War II, the war was won on D-Day, but there was casualties and the war continued to be fought until V-Day. And that's kind of where we are today. We know that the war has been won, and yet we have to continue to fight. Because although these angels have been defeated, they continue to wage war and the battle is around us. Their goal is, of course, to pull people into the bondage that Jesus came to set them free from. And so what do we do? How, how, how do we, as followers of Christ respond to that. Start here. Go to the next slide, Thomas. Um, put the full armor, of, put on the full armor of God. Suit up so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil and his minions have schemes. They've got plans and we want to be aware of those plans and we want to suit up so that we can fight against them. And then here's the key, and this is the key to everything. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, and the day of evil is not a reference to a day, it's a reference to a time frame, which is in place now, it exists currently. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand. So here's, here's, the, here's the deal. Uh, keep your eye on the ball, all right? The battle has a focus, and the enemy has been defined for us in Scripture. And the enemy is not flesh and blood. Uh, kingdom people, this, this is what we have to keep in focus. The enemy is not the liberals. The enemy is not the media. The enemy is not scientists or evolutionists or abortionists or gay rights activists. They are not the enemy. If it has flesh and blood, it's not the enemy. And that's not my assessment. That's the Bible. I'm just reporting See, those are the people that we're actually fighting for because those are the people that are being held in darkness, held in bondage by these principalities and powers that Paul outlines for us here in Ephesians. Uh, Our hope, our goal, our purpose is to help set them free from their darkness. How do we fight that battle? Let me just be really, really, really honest and straightforward here. We fight that battle by exercising the outlandish love of God on the hearts and lives of people that need to be loved. And there's a lot of brokenness in the world and a lot of darkness in the world that needs to be loved. I read a story one time that broke my heart. There was an abortion clinic and a bunch of Christians went and they were protesting the signs and you know, baby killer and stuff like that. And people would go in and get an abortion. And on a different day, a young woman went and sat down in front of the clinic and just started to cry. And she just sat there and wept. And as she wept, Person after person would come up and see her and turn around and walk away. And our job, our purpose is not to tell people what's wrong with them. Our purpose is to love them with the love of Jesus. And we we fight against the principalities and powers behind what's happening in the world around us by extending that love. And we've got to keep that clear. We've got to keep our eye on the ball. We cannot allow ourselves to get sucked into the rhetoric and the name calling and the finger pointing and everything else that happens all around us. One of those principalities is called unbelief. And unbelief would tell us that the spiritual realm and angels and demons are in the same category as fairy princesses and Tinkerbell. They're not real. But they are real. And and what I want us to understand is this. When we see cultural forces at work in the world today, we have to understand that there are principalities and powers behind those forces. When we see greed and self-centeredness that's so 
prevalent in the world around us, we have to understand that that comes from somewhere. And we counter greed and self-centeredness and the principalities and powers of this world by living sacrificial lives, by giving till it hurts, by loving till we can't love anymore. That's how we win the battle. To love until it costs you to love. I'll close with this, and if you guys want to come up, you can. So, take away, angels. Three things. Remember this, first of all, the battle's not against flesh and blood. The battle's not against flesh and blood. If it has flesh and blood, it's not the enemy. Just keep that in mind. If it has flesh and blood, it's not the enemy. The enemy is whatever is motivating that flesh and that blood to do what they're doing, and we can break the power of that by engaging in outlandish sacrificial love of Jesus in the life of that person. Second thing is, it's never too late for God. I'm stunned at that verse that says, Gabriel says, we, I came in answer to your prayer. And I have to think, I, I looked it up. I tried to figure it out. How old was Zechariah? Nobody knows. He was old. One guy, that the only one dude would wager a guess. He said he had some calendar thing he figured out. Zechariah was 88 years old at this point. I don't know, but I'm going to just go out on a limb and say he was old and had long since given up on the prayer that they had prayed. But God said, I didn't give up on you. It's never too late from him. Third thing is angels are all around us and you're never alone. When you're in your darkest moment, when you're at your loneliest place, just remember I'm not alone. God has my back. The presence of his Holy Spirit and those that he has sent to uphold my foot so I don't stub it on a rock are here with me today. Let's stand.